2: Welcome to At The Core with Walker Robin and Rick Green. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, with you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, just honored that you would even take the time to listen, to plug in, to lock shields with us, to be a part of the solution. I mean, that's essentially what we mean when we say At The Core. We're talking about core issues. That fundamentally can transform a nation. Uh, the fundamental issues that that you know, if you put the right stuff in, you get good stuff out. If you put the bad stuff in, you get bad stuff out. And that 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 depends on your worldview. It depends on how you see things, and uh, and which issues you think are most important. And so here at the core, we try to zero in on the things that are happening that most impact our lives, our families, our churches, our communities, and of course, the nation. And we always take that approach of, of saying, hey, what does the Bible say about these things? That's the most important perspective we can have on any issue out there. It's vitally important that we know what God's Word says about these issues. And it applies to everything. That's the good news. God didn't give us a, a flawed instruction manual for life. He didn't leave out chapters that don't apply, you know, that, that I mean, or that don't address uh, the the big core issues of, of the day, everything that we're facing, whether that's personally, in our relationships, whether that's with our family, whether it's uh, at, in our communities or, or uh, states or, or as a nation, everything. There's the answer book. There's the instruction manual. And the creator of, uh, of us and of the world gave us the instruction manual. You know, I use the example in our biblical citizenship course, that uh, that frankly I stole from Tim Barton. So Tim, if you're out there listening, yes, I borrowed your story. I gave you credit the very first time, and from then on it was mine. Uh, but this uh, just this analogy of an instruction manual when you drive away from the car lot, that's there in the glove box, you know, and you you refer to the instruction manual for you know everything about how that how that vehicle, in my case a pickup truck, how it works, how how to get the most out of it, how, how to repair it. All of it is given to you by the maker, by the creator of that vehicle, and it's all in that instruction manual. And too often, we throw the instruction manual out the window and say, yeah, this is my truck. I'm going to treat this truck the way I want to treat it. Ain't nobody going to tell me how to take care of my truck. That's that's, that's a very arrogant, you know, Romans 1 uh, mentality that, that we are wise when, in fact, we become fools. Well, of course, as you already are, I'm sure, way ahead of me on this, the instruction manual for life and for us as human beings and for the world is, of course, God's Word. It's the instruction manual from the Maker, from the Creator. He gave us everything we need to solve those relationship problems, those personal problems, those those challenges we face at our church and in our community, and, of course, even the political issues that we're facing for the nation. And, and we just—you know, I, 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 I always wonder how Christians and, and believers can can kind of separate in their minds— uh, areas of their life and say some of it God, yes, has something to say about it, and other parts no. God has nothing to say about that. I just don't I don't even know how that became such a popular view in the church, but it's not just popular. I, I would say it's the majority view in the quote unquote church, the, in the communities of faith of America, the majority view is that the instruction manual does not apply to politics. Does not apply to to, to the most, the, the biggest issues, the most important, the ones that most impact our lives, our ability to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, our ability to worship God freely, our ability to live out our faith that, that, that somehow government, quote unquote, politics, how the schools are run, how the city council is run. Uh, what what kind of things we allow for in our community that all of that oh oh, oh that's that you know that's 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 not the the Bible that you can you can't bring God into that that's separation of church and state we gotta we gotta we gotta not bring those things in I don't know I mean how did we get so foolish? How did we get to the place that we would not apply the Bible to the biggest issues in life well all right enough enough complaining about it I think the good news is that's changing the good news is people of faith are saying wait a minute,'s gotta be a better way. There's got to be there's got to be a way to address these core issues better than we have done so far. We we have gotten to a place where culture is crumbling around us. The problems are mounting the The crime, the corruption, all of those things uh, cause people to pause and say, hmm. Maybe we need to change the inputs on this thing. In fact, I, I just did an interview with with Congressman Bob McEwan. Going to have to get him on the program this week or next week. But I, I, he was so he he was so good. It was this was for our wall builder show, and it was so good how he just laid out. Listen, there was a time when you put "Thou shalt not kill" on the wall in every school in America, every home in America. Not every, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it was it was it was per, it permeated the culture. So everywhere in the culture, in the courtrooms, in the schools, so the legal system, the education system, in our churches, in our homes, everywhere, it was obvious. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder, to be more specific. Let's not get too far off on that tangent. But thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not deceive. Thou shalt not lie. Thou, that that All of those things were infused. Honor your father and mother. Have that that weightiness, that cavode, that respect for the previous generations. All of those things were infused in the culture in such a way that we got really good results in this nation. Incredible results. But what happens when you take out thou shalt not murder? How many mass murder events do we hear about? every you know it seems like every other week there's another one or every week there's one going on. How, how much increase in, in crime? How much more are, are, are communities that used to be safe? no longer safe. Well, we stopped saying thou shalt not murder. Stop saying thou shalt not steal. And we started saying, what did we say? We said, you know, eh, might be wrong for me. Doesn't mean it's wrong for you. I mean, it would be, it would be just, it would be bigoted of me. It would be, it would be, it would be just like, you know, I, I, I would be, I would be wrong to say that what I believe you should follow. I I would be wrong to say that 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 that, that my beliefs are based on absolute truths that should apply to everybody. That that would be I I, I can't do that. I mean, I, it's okay for me to have these beliefs, but it's not okay for me to express them or to to ask that the law reflect these beliefs. And we went down this road of this mamsy pamsy wimpy, you know, I I I can believe something but I can't can't express it. I can't can't push for that to be the law of the land that we would that we would define marriage the way that it's been defined for all of recorded human history that i can't i can't protect life i can't protect innocent human life in the womb because it might offend some i mean we the church got to the point where we were not willing to stand on the most basic of things because we bought into moral relativism instead of moral absolutes and so i i i i, I I lament that we're here, and I say I don't know how we got here, but I do. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, as I think about it, it's pretty obvious. You, you reject truth, and you fall for the lie. We rejected truth as a culture. We've, we've fallen for the lie and adopted the lie, and now we are living with the results. The culture crumbles around us. Well, here's the good news, folks. The truth hasn't changed. Principles of liberty have not changed. The biblical principles that produce a good society are the same that they have been since God created the earth. Since he created human beings, his principles do not change. That's good news, folks. The gospel is good news because the things that make disciples of all men have not changed. And I know, yes, that means men and women there. Don't need to get off on too many tangents. Listen. The good news is that the gospel hasn't changed. The good news is that truth has not changed. And therefore, if we go back to that truth, if we embrace that truth, if we learn that truth and we speak that truth and we defend that truth and we spread that truth, we get good results once again. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes hard work. It takes an effort on our parts to be engaged in the process. So that's a really long intro to today's show to just give you some hope in knowing that as you look out there and you see the culture crumbling and you say, wow, how did we get to this point, that it's not complicated how we got here. We rejected truth. We bought the lie. We live with the results. Now is the time to no longer reject truth, but instead embrace truth. Instead, come back to truth, study truth, get back in God's word every day. Most important thing you can do. I was just at a uh, at an event in uh, in South Carolina. Uh, BJU Press had a, had an event and and I had a chance to speak a couple times at this thing and and I was I was thinking about how important Doing our duty is that 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 this these truths are there, but they have to be embraced. we have to do the hard work we have to be willing to study we have to be willing to speak, we have to be willing to defend those truths and so here at the core that's that 's what we do. We talk about how what these truths are and then how you can defend them in in your home and 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 as I was going through in fact, I was going to share a couple of those quotes that uh, you know the founders were so. Uh, adamant about duty. They just talked over and over and over again about doing our duty and that if we don't do our duty, you know, that, that, that we can forget it, man, everything's going to fall apart. And, uh, I, I just, I, I, I was amazed at how, what's the right way to say this at how almost nonchalant, uh, how, how just simple it was. It was, it was just do your duty, live, your life in a way that answers the call. It's kind of like the World War II vets. You know, I, I get to interview a lot of these World War II vets, and have over the years interviewed, I don't know, how, hundreds and hundreds of them. And uh, and they were just, it was just matter of fact. It was just, hey, we just did what we were asked to do to save freedom. We did what was required of us to to make sure that 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 freedom last. And so as as I as I open the show today and talk about. The principles of liberty have not died and that we can once again restore those things. It's going to take a mindset of, I'm going to do my duty. So let me just read you a couple of quotes. And and I'm kind of failing as a radio host here. I haven't given out the number at all. By the way, if you want to call in, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. And and I will get to your calls in, in the second segment. Go ahead and call in now so you can get in line. But Let me just talk about this duty issue because this is what you've got to embrace, folks. If you want to be part of the solution, if you want to save America, if you want to restore liberty, if you want the church to take its place once again as the epicenter of the community, if you want God's word to once again be infused into the culture, if you want good results, if you want to have schools that reflect God's values, if you want to have the freedom to to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you want an economic system that is productive and prosperous and and, and and where you have inventions and you have uh, prosperity in, in the nation, if you want all of those outputs, it's going to take some work. We are going to have to do our duty. So here you go. This is Sam Adams, father of the American American Revolution. He said, The man who is conscientiously doing his duty will ever be protected by that righteous and all-powerful being, and when he has finished his work, he will receive an ample reward. John Hancock. And having secured the approval of our hearts by a faithful and unwearied discharge of our duty to our country, let us joyfully leave our concerns in the hands of him who raises up and pulls down the empires and kingdoms of the world as he pleases. Now, now folks, too often we as Christians just say, God will take care of it. I don't have to worry about those things. Those issues are too big for me. God will take care of it. He'll raise up and pull it. But notice what Hancock was saying. He was saying, having secured the approval of our hearts by a faithful and unwearied discharge of our duty to our country, then we joyfully leave our concerns in the hands of him who raises up and pulls down the empires and kingdoms of the world as he pleases. What's he saying? He said, absolutely, absolutely the results are up to God. You know, we do the John Quincy Adams quote around here all the time. Duty is ours, results are God's, All right. But you got to do the duty part first before you can have some peace, before you can lay your head on the pillow at night going, no matter how much chaos is going in the country, I know God's got this. Duty first, then, you say, results are up to God. Two more quotes as we're going to go to break in just a moment. Phone number again, 888-589-8840. This one is from John Witherspoon, signer of the Declaration of Independence. He said, the sum of the whole is that the blessing of God is only to be looked for by those who are not wanting in the discharge of their own duty. How about that, folks? If you if you want the blessing of God on the culture, don't be looking for that if we haven't done our duty. So we cannot be wanting, in other words, lacking, did not do the discharge of our duty. Last one. This is uh, this is um, John Jay. He was uh, first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, one of the authors of the Federalist Papers. All that the best men can do is to persevere in doing their duty to their country and leave the consequences to him who made it their duty. Being neither elated by success, however great, nor discouraged or disappointed, however frequent and mortifying, we must go home to be happy, and our home is not in this world. Here we have nothing to do but our duty, and by it to regulate our business and our pleasures. What's he saying? Do your duty and regulate your time and your, and your money and all of those things by whether or not you have fulfilled your – I just called you to. We'll be back in a moment, folks. Phone number is 888-589-8840. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. You are listening to At the Core with Walker Waldman and Rick Green.
3: And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Acts 17.26 conveys to us the reality that we were born and placed in the 21st century by God's specific design. He determined before time where we would live and when we would live there. If you're in Minnesota, Mississippi, or Maine, God put you there on purpose. He's not surprised by the darkness we see around us, nor is he caught off guard by it. In fact, he specifically prepared for it by making sure you're alive right now. God can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use you and me as ambassadors of his kingdom. We are his torches to light up the darkness.
4: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage
1: Girls. A recent poll revealed that 98% of middle and high school students aspire to be a social media influencer. The overwhelming majority of children in our country want to go viral for their opinions or talents and their personalities. There's really nothing inherently wrong with influencer aspirations. There are plenty of Christians using this platform to grow the kingdom, but her desire might be caused by deeper longings. Is she wanting to be seen, heard, and understood, or celebrated and affirmed in her abilities? Is she relying on the opinions of others to feel beautiful? Confidence in God is critical to the confidence of a girl. He made her in His image with a purpose, for a purpose. Whether or not she's called to a life of internet fame, she is called to a life of evangelization and influence for His glory. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com.
5: I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you called Trinity, because it was such a relief and less stress in my life, and it was the best thing I could have done for myself. Because once I called Trinity, they took care of me, and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders, and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs)
4: If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813.
5: I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps.
4: 1-800-788-1813. At the Core podcasts
0: are available at AFR.net. Now, back to At the Core on American Family Radio.
2: Welcome back to At the Core with Walker Wadman and Rick Green. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, with you here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Walker on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Appreciate you tuning in and be a part of the program. Uh, we were talking last segment about duty and and just the culture itself, where everything's going, the fact that we need to be doing our duty. Last, I, I missed one quote. I wanted to close with this one on this topic. Uh, Benjamin Rush said, "Remember that none liveth to himself. Our life is not our own property to spend and be spent for the good of mankind." Is what I chiefly aim at. Now, this is a guy that risked everything during Yellow Fever in Philadelphia, and just incredible. Uh, the founders understood this concept of duty. They understood the the idea of laying down your life for others. They understood the idea of not living just unto yourself, and uh, and even regulating your activity and your time and your money and all those things by whether or not you've done your duty to your country as God has called you to do. And, uh, and and he's blessed us. Man, he's blessed us with an amazing nation where we get to live. And and, and the the story of America is unbelievable. It's amazing. And, the, and when you compare it to other nations throughout history, there's just no comparison, folks. There's no comparison. And these people that have, have made you feel bad for being American, they've lied to you about about who we are as a nation. Of course, we're not perfect. Of course, we have sin in our history. Of course, all of those things. But compared to other nations— They ignore the fact that America was the first nation to ban the slave trade, beating England by three weeks, fourth nation to ban slavery, completely fighting a war to to end it. They ignore the fact that it was the principles of liberty infused in the uh, Declaration of Independence that that led to all of the great things that happened. And, and, And anyway, so they've made you feel bad about being an American. It's time to really know your American history and not, uh, and not fall for a lot of these lies. That's what all of this, you know, CRT and and 1619 Project stuff, I mean, that's what all of that is about. It's all about making you feel bad for being an American based on a bunch of lies. And so now you've got this this headline today, just amazing to me. Um, Virginia school official says the Battle of Iwo Jima, Iwo Jima was evil. <coughs> that somehow America was at fault for Iwo Jima. That somehow America is is the bad guy in in the World War II story. Seriously? I I mean, are we that ignorant of history? Do we not have a clue what actually happened at Iwo Jima, what actually happened at Saipan? Do we not have a clue what happened at Normandy or any of these other beaches that we stormed? And why we were there in the first place? I I think we don't. I think we are actually this, this civically ignorant. I've said it many times, civic ignorance is the underlying problem for the stuff that we're facing today. Biblical and civic ignorance, not knowing the truth, allows you to fall for the lie. And civic ignorance is the petri dish where bad government grows. It's the petri dish where bad culture grows. If you don't know truth, Reagan said, if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. So I, I would highly encourage anyone that has has bought this lie from this Fairfax County, I guess this was a school board member there. If I'm reading this right, uh, the, the, the idea that we were the bad guys, Eddie Wajima yeah. You need to read Flags of Our Fathers. You need to you need to go back. Honestly, you need to you need to watch One Room Schoolhouse with David and Tim Barton, and and learn the truth about these things. Uh, I was just with David on Friday. His presentation actually was about World War II and the things that were required for us to end the genocide and end the evil things that happened. It wasn't just the Nazis trying to wipe out the Jewish population. And just a quick side note on that, by the way, nearly, I mean, nearly took out half of the entire Jewish population on the planet. I believe at the time there were 14, my numbers may be wrong on this, so callers, you can correct me, but 14 million Jews at the time, 6 to 7 million murdered I mean that's that's hard to fathom, and, and when you read Viktor Frankl and you and you read these people that came out of the concentration camps and the horrors that they faced, and yet afterwards somehow 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 some way I, I mean supernaturally, Frankl was even able to say when somebody asked him does he hate the German people and the German race. And he said, "No, there's only two kinds of people. There's good people and evil people. So it's not it doesn't have anything to do with German or French or black or white or that. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with the depravity of man. I mean, this guy understood that, and it was just amazing to me that he could he could respond in that way. But Iwo Jima, folks, when you read Flags of Our Fathers, uh, you get and listen. My wife's grandfather got a, got a Purple Heart uh, at Iwo Jima, and and so maybe I'm biased on this. I guess uh, let me make sure I'm being in, you know in full disclosure here." But this guy stormed, I think it was seven different Pacific Island beaches, my wife's grandfather, Bill Kyle. Uh, and, and, and so he saw some of the worst of the worst. And Iwo Jima was some of the worst of the worst. The, the, the amount of suicide, the, 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 the Japanese people at the time embraced and worshipped a culture of death. I mean, let's be blunt here about what was going on at that time. It wasn't just the kamikaze pilots when we when we took Iwo Jima the amount of life that we had to sacrifice to finally take that island and it was very similar at at the, at the other uh, places so I mean we could go I don't want to spend the whole hour on this but I, the, the point is it required think about what had to happen when the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh they were we we had for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Dropped pamphlets telling the Japanese people where we were going to bomb. Uh, we told them. We told them, and that was just the regular bombs. Before we dropped those, we literally told. Them. I mean, so we put our pilots at risk by basically saying, "Here's where we're going to fly." And even after bombing city after city after city, that where, where we were bombing um, uh, military installations, and, and dropped leaflets first to tell them all citizens get out of these areas. We want as little loss of life as possible. We're going after military targets here. And and, and did that. And and even after doing that, still they would not surrender. And we did our, our, our studies and, and figured out, okay, we're probably going to lose at least a million American lives if we have to invade on the ground in Japan. And more than likely a two to three million allied lives and then 5 to 10 some people said as many as 20 million Japanese lives if we have to invade on the ground why because of the culture of death because they were willing to commit suicide they were willing to 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 kill their own children to kill i mean it was it was an it was a bad situation so truman had an impossible decision he he, he knew it was not going to end without dropping the bomb and then and then we warned them that that was coming we told them what you've seen is nothing compared to the bomb we're about to drop we, we 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 did everything we could to not have to do that and then they would not surrender even after the tremendous damage of the first one and we said in three days more we're going to drop another one you have three days to surrender we gave them three days they would not surrender drop the second one then we said you got three days they still wouldn't surrender initially we were we were ready, loaded up, gonna drop a third one and they finally said, okay, give us give us a minute. <laughs> we we, we we're, we're at least considering it. And so we did, gave them a little more time and then they finally we got this got the surrender and then and then get this. These people that say America was evil for what we did. We turn around and we take our money and we go rebuild the very nations that had attacked us. We take our money and we go rebuild these cities. We go rebuild these nations. And they benefit from the American values that were then infused into their culture, replacing that culture of death. And you now look at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they look like futuristic cities. They look like they they, they look better than any American city. You know what's really ironic? You go look at Detroit. You go look at Chicago. You go look at the cities that were the greatest cities on the planet back then in the 1940s and really up through, you know, a few more decades after that. Why do they now look like war zones? Why do they now look like bombs have been dropped on them? What a difference. The reason is because Japan after MacArthur after after Dimming after all of the investment of American values embraced the concepts of being a constitutional republic of having free enterprise and and work ethic and uh, valuing life and all of these things and they infused the good stuff and they got the good stuff out. What did we do? those cities like Detroit and Chicago and most big cities today in America the opposite is true. they rejected the values of free enterprise and freedom and and uh, you know mostly the Ten Commandments and they embraced instead, a culture of Marxism, a culture of of, of of government providing everything, of government replacing the family, and now you look at those cities and there, and they look like war zones. Well, all of that to say, whoever this and, and I use this term biblically, whoever this fool is that that said that we were at fault for Iwo Jima, is a is is the fool all throughout Proverbs by not embracing wisdom or knowledge, is the is the fool in in Proverbs. I, I'm sorry, in Romans. That says professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. These fools are running the education system in America, and because they have they have created uh, over multiple generations now an ignorant population that believes these lies, and now we see that the results and the cultural you know decay. Americans are saying enough, enough is enough. And people are standing up and they're taking over school boards and they're rejecting this kind of nonsense and they're bringing truth and wisdom and God's word and God's principles back to our local communities. That's the good news. The bad news is the fools have been in charge for too long. The inmates have been running the asylum for too long and we're having to live with the results, but we're turning it around. The good news is that there's a a big change happening in America. And this Iwo Jima story is just just, um, a perfect example of how we ended up in the mess we're in and how we get out of it. Civic and biblical literacy is the solution. That's how we that's how we change it. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said I would get to the calls. Get, I said I'd get to the phones in the second segment. Now we're down to only five minutes in this segment, but we're going to take some calls. Okay. Karen, you've been waiting the longest. Thank you so much. Headed to the phones right now. Karen in Texas, I apologize. I kept you on hold for so long. Go for it.
6: Rick, that's okay. I love everything that comes out of your mouth, and I just I appreciate you so much. And I know well, God bless you're you are running behind, but uh, I I praise the Lord that we have AFR. So I've gotten
2: Amen. in touch
6: with the Patriot Academy and Wall Builders, but and I'm I'm going to distract from the conversation. But I've been trying to get through to you for a while. Uh, I was a homeschool mom in uh the 90s okay so let's say say before computers and i was gonna say um, i was gonna
2: say karen that means you were a homeschool mom before being a homeschool mom was cool
6: yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, been through all that, but I I know you got a lot of calls waiting. I my thing is when I was homeschooling, you know, Bush was trying to push for the voucher system, and I seriously want your opinion on the school choice now thing, because yeah. I, we were blessed. we were blessed that we could afford our curriculum. Yeah. And, you know, we were buying all the books and everything, but I, I don't want the government to have – I did not want to vote for it because I don't want the government coming in and telling me, okay, you got to teach this, you got to teach that. You know what I'm saying? And I Yeah, yeah, like no, your... no.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd i be glad to give it because this, this is a subject I'm very, very passionate about and care very deeply about because I share your concern absolutely 100 percent. Do not want the government telling – Uh, parents that are homeschooling what they have to study or or, or do. Um, And so I I, I absolutely support free enterprise, competition, uh, the ability for parents to choose where their kids go to school um, and be able to take, if they want, to be able to take the government dollars and 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 send them where to whatever school they, is best for their particular kid. I'm all for that. School choice is an absolute must. It's one of the reasons I ran uh, for the legislature 23 years ago was school choice. We need competition in education. The reason it's been a mess is because of the monopoly and the teacher unions took over. And so the only way you're going to break that and break the back of that Marxist system is competition. It's got to be done. But you have to safeguard exactly what Karen was raising as the concern. You have to make sure that, that that government control of education is not then forced on parents. So parents have to have the choice. And sometimes that choice might mean if you live in a in a in a liberal state where the only school choice that gets passed comes with strings, then then you have to make a decision. Do you want to accept the money or not? And I think you should have the freedom to say yes and the freedom to say no. And so, if if if, you're, if there are strings with the money, then then for from you know most people, I would say say no. Now, for some people, they might have to say yes. But the strings that come with that, and the freedom to spend that money anywhere and take them to a private school or homeschool or whatever, is still a better choice than sending their kid to a public indoctrination camp run by the government. And run by the teacher unions, not even run by your elected officials. Run by the teacher unions, um, that's still a better choice for that person. Now, for me, for Karen, for 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 parents that that don't want the strings at all, we would say no to that, and therefore not take the money and figure out whatever we got to do, sacrifice whatever we got to do financially to be able to educate our children at home or at a at a private school. What am I saying? I'm saying freedom of choice is essential to all of these options. And parents should have the choice to say, I want to send my kid to the public school. I want to send my kid to the private school. I want to homeschool. I want to send my kid to the charter school. And the money should follow the choice of the parent. And so then if, if strings come with the money, the parent can choose not to make that choice, if that makes sense, and say, I don't want the voucher. I don't want the check. I will educate my kid without that money. Uh, and, and, and my prayer is that is that it, it, you will be able to get the money without the strings attached. And, and that happens with, with the Pell grant, that happens with the GI bill that happens. There are examples where you are able to let the money go with the consumer and then the consumer decides and there are no strings attached. There are examples of where that has worked. so it can work in elementary education. You can have school choice without the strings attached. And, and, and the, those are the best programs. The parents will make the best decisions of where that money should go. But in those states where the legislature is unwilling to do that and they have a bunch of strings attached, then just don't take the money. And and let the people that that's the only way they can get their kid out of the public school and they have to take this. Then let them make that decision. That's for the, It's all about freedom of choice. That's the biblical way to do it. Let the competition happen. Let everybody make their own decisions about how to do that. Here's the real answer to not having strings attached. They could regulate your homeschool right now. The government could come in and regulate you right now. What's the answer? Eternal vigilance. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. You got to constantly be involved. You got to support your homeschool associations. You got to be at the legislature testifying. You got to run for the legislature or you got to help the person in your community that's running for the legislature. That's how you prevent the strings. You always have to be vigilant and make sure that you got good laws and good lawmakers. Stay with us folks. We got a lot more to cover. You're listening To At The Core, I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach.
0: Forget about Facebook. The last 10 days we've been banned twice and is unbanning a word. They put us under the ban. Christians and conservatives don't need you, YouTube. Banned one day, banned again. AFR programs are now live streaming on the AFA streaming app. Now you can get shows like today's issues straight from the source. Put back on the next. Just say unbanned. Unbanned. Just search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. The AFA Resource Center has all your favorite items. Everything from books, movies, shirts, and even hats. Introducing AFA's polyester and twill hats, starting at just $18. Whether you're into fashion, a collector, or you're just having a bad hair day, these hats are just what you need. You can buy one for yourself or a friend. Purchase your AFA hat today at resources.afa.net.
4: No gimmicks. It's ninety nine dollars a month, and you can use any Medicare-approved doctor or facility. And you get twenty four seven access to telehealth from the convenience of your home. Better yet, Medishare is a Christian nonprofit organization. It's a community that'll pray for you and encourage you. And since we've cut out the middleman, you get to keep the savings. Call now. You can learn more about Medishare sixty five plus. Here's the number, 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833 bible 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE.
3: You know, when Matthew 19, the, the scripture records a Pharisee trying to test Jesus concerning marriage, and Jesus responded, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the beginning, the first institution God created was the family. Marriage is the centerpiece of family. As a husband and father myself, let me tell you, (laughs) marriage is absolutely wonderful. And we want to encourage and educate people to embrace God's design as the fundamental building block for all of human civilization. And to celebrate the lifelong union of one man and one woman as the objective institution that produces human flourishing.
6: Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net.
0: This is At the Core on American Family Radio with your host, Walker Wildman.
2: Welcome back to At the Core with Walker Wildman and Rick Green. I'm Rick Green covering for uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays and Walker on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Let's jump right back into the phone. So I'm having fun today. I hope you're enjoying the program. Lots of great topics. Let's go over to, uh, let's see, how about Cheryl in Texas? We're going to stay in Texas for one more call and then uh, head over to Louisiana. So Hartwell, hang in there. You're next up. Go ahead, Cheryl.
1: Hi. Um, I'm traveling across the state of Arkansas listening to your station, and I'm fascinated. Um, This topic is very interesting to me, especially about politics in churches or not in churches. I always wondered why my church never talked about politics, and I asked one day, and I was told that it's because um, in order to be a 501c, you can't be political and so churches aren't supposed to take a side on the way of politics and if that's true i can see where we have gone down that rabbit hole of um what do you want to say tolerance Um, right and i'd be curious to know if that's a correct statement
2: that's a very good question cheryl first i got to ask you what part of arkansas are you driving through Oh, I don't even know. There's trees, lots of trees. <laughs> There's trees. Well, I'm I'm originally from Little Rock. That's why I ask. I got I got family all over Arkansas and and uh, love the hogs. So uh, anyway, I was just curious. I think um, I'm
1: I'm 40, I'm 45 miles west of uh, Little Rock.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, got you. So you're getting close to Texas. Then you're gonna, you're gonna go through Hope and all that there. Um. Well, so so yeah, no, really good question. I think that is that is exactly why you put your finger on. That's exactly why so many churches receded. Uh, from influencing the culture because they bought this idea that, that politics, you can't do politics if you're, if you're a nonprofit. And so that's why terms are very important. Like, what does it mean for a church to do politics or to be involved in politics at all? In terms of the nonprofit thing, it really comes down to the 1954. Um, little language that Lyndon Johnson, when he was a U.S. senator, got slipped into an appropriations bill that put 501c3s in jeopardy of their nonprofit status if they engaged in political campaigns. So you're right. If a pastor gets up today in a pulpit and says... I think you should vote for Joe Biden, or I think you should vote for Donald Trump, there are some people that would go after them. Now, here's the good news. No church has ever lost their nonprofit status because of something like that. There was one church that took out an ad, a full-page ad, lambasting Clinton years ago, and they lost their nonprofit status for one day, got it back the next day. Um, so it just doesn't happen. And the reason is because you have freedom of speech. You have absolutely have freedom of speech to speak in the pulpit, and that's the way pulpits used to be. Early American pastors, man, they were known as the black-robed regiment. Because the British hated them because they were the ones that were sowing the seeds of liberty into the American culture. They were just – what they were doing was they were just preaching the Bible, and they didn't leave any subject – off limits. So the Bible speaks to what we call quote-unquote politics, which is what? What does that mean when we say politics? Most people typically think when we say politics, that means who's running for office or abortion or life or economics or whatever. Well, the Bible speaks to all of those things, right? The Bible addresses what kind of leaders should you have? Able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Um, What does it say about life? What does it say about marriage? All of those things. The Bible addresses that. So used to Pastors would just preach straight through the Bible, and that meant they were going to hit all of these subjects that now today we think of as political, where they're not even political, they're biblical, but they also impact politics. So we've just got a warped view of all those things, and we've allowed these politicians, like Lyndon Johnson back in 1954— to to do these threats uh, uh, to private you know to, to to churches and to nonprofits and say we're going to take away your nonprofit status if you talk about this stuff it's a paper tiger we have Cheryl now thousands of pastors we did this thing called pulpit initiative pulpit freedom initiative and every Sunday in September we would have pastors get up and talk about politics and talk about who's running for office and all of those things and then take the sermons and mail them to the IRS and say come and get me. If this is truly unconstitutional, if I am truly not allowed to speak to the culture and speak to who's running for office from a faith perspective, which is what I'm supposed to do as a pastor, then come after me. Come get me and let's see what happens. And they would not do it because they knew it was a paper tiger and none of those pastors ever lost their nonprofit status at their churches. So it's absolutely a threat. In fact, there's a group called Americans United for Separation Church and State. They send a letter to every church in America every year and they threaten them. And they say, if you talk about politics, you're going to do yada, yada. Well, we, we used to take that letter and we would mark out everything that was false in it and, and and then talk and then show what was left. And it was basically dear pastor and signed so-and-so. It was that false. Uh, so anyway, all of that, I got excited, Cheryl. It's such a great question. Um, we've bought all of these lies and allowed this to happen. Because we just simply don't know the definition of politics, we don't know what the Bible's supposed to speak to, we don't know how the Constitution actually works, and what the First Amendment actually says is, Congress shall make no law respecting an established religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So Congress is not supposed to make a law saying that everybody's got to be part of one particular denomination, and Congress is not allowed to make a law that prevents a denomination or any particular sect or faith from saying what they believe and speaking out on what they believe and living what they believe. And we've turned all of that on its head. We now use Congress and the law and government and the IRS to silence churches and tell them what they can say, what they can do, how people can live their lives, how you can run your business. It's totally the opposite of the original intent of the Constitution and the way the nation was founded? Okay, I have rambled on and on and on about this. It's such a good question. And, Cheryl, the answer is that a nonprofit or a church, and churches typically don't actually file for a 501c3. They're just automatically nonprofit, and that's actually based on a scripture, and I believe it's Ezra, that the founding fathers talked about, and so they wanted that from the beginning for churches to be uh, tax-exempt. But a 501c3, I will say, can lose its nonprofit status. Like, I have a nonprofit. Patriot Academy is a nonprofit, and we do education. Now, we can do a certain percentage. I forget the number. There's a technical number the IRS has ruled on that is perceived as political activity, where we talk about a a bill that's going through Congress or through this legislature or whatever. As long as we're not, like, out there using our nonprofit organization and our nonprofit dollars— to campaign for a specific candidate, you typically can you, you're, you're okay. You you do, shouldn't do that if you're an, if if you're a nonprofit because of the way the laws are written. I don't think that's the way the law should be written. I think nonprofits should be allowed to do those things, but because that's the law of the land right now, we make sure we follow that that law the way that it that it's written. There's a time for civil disobedience. That's not one that I that I recommend because then you lose your nonprofit status. Churches, on the other hand, are much more free than what pastors and congregants, which is, to, to your point, Cheryl, people in the congregation are saying to the pastor, I don't want you talking about politics. Now, the real reason they're saying I don't want you talking about politics is because they don't want to be convicted. They don't want the pastor talking about biblical application to what's happening in their lives because they don't want conviction of sin and having to change how they're living. That's why most people don't want politics in the pulpit. It doesn't have anything to do with following the law or politics and, and, and religion. You know, it has everything to do with, I don't want to be convicted and have to change the way I'm living. So pastor, don't you dare talk about that issue that I know I'm doing what the Bible says not to do. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this folks? That's the real reason most people don't want quote unquote politics in the pulpit. The truth is that politics, and this is a Charles Finney quote from the second great awakening. He said, politics he said, Christians must do their duty to their country as a part of their duty to God. God will bless or curse this nation, according to the course Christian taken take politics. He said, politics in a country such as this, it's just part of your religion. What does he mean? He means in a country such as this, a constitutional republic where you are Caesar, where you are in charge, we the people are ultimately in charge, where you have the freedom to live your faith in every area, he said, politics is just part of a religion in a culture such as this. You do your duty to your country as a part of your duty to God. That was, and, and he was so right. And what he's saying is, when the pastor's preaching on Sunday morning and not avoiding areas of the Bible and not avoiding areas of the culture, then what's going to happen is you're going to apply the Bible to how you work. You're going to apply the Bible to how you love. You're going to apply the Bible to how you treat your spouse and your children and your employees and your employer and, and all of those things. And yes, You're going to apply the Bible to how you vote. You're going to apply the Bible, if you're an elected official, to how you govern. You're going to apply the Bible to everything because, as Charles Finney said, politics is part of a religion in a country such as this, so it's just part of it. You wouldn't leave the church on Sunday morning saying, ah, you know, pastor was on fire, but I can't use that tomorrow at work because there's a separation of church and work. Nobody out there has ever said that. We shouldn't say that, and we shouldn't say... Wish I could apply that sermon to how I'm going to vote on Tuesday, but there's separation of church and state. You should never, never do that. The Bible applies to everything, man. Such a good question, Cheryl. I could do the whole hour on your one question. Thank you so much for for listening to the program and for and for calling in. Okay, man, we got uh, so many good ones here, um, uh, but I've only got a few minutes left, so let's see what we can get to here. Uh, oh, yeah, this is a good one. Let's uh, Sue. I I really want to. Your father got uh, wow four Purple Hearts. In the Philippines, uh, Sue. First of all, I, I don't know if your father's still yeah. alive, but if he is, please thank him. Nope. I get to interview 98 99 hundred ninety-nine, hundred-year-olds all the time, so he may still be living. Tell us, just tell us uh, your questions, uh, Sue, and your comment. Go ahead.
7: So that was one of them. You know, I I love studying World War II history, and to think about my father and the lies they're spreading with the Ujimqmo now. Um, he was in the Philippines for Purple Hearts because he was in charge of the BAR, the Browning Automatic Rifle. And he went mm. back every time. And after his fourth Purple Heart, he wanted to go back to the front lines again. His commander wouldn't let him. So he snuck on a truck, went back, and they threatened him with court-martial when they <laughs> found him. But I love it. How brave, you know. Oh. But I hate these lies. Back yeah. in 1990, I started homeschooling my children. And I saw the wokism back then with— Sesame Street and all those I wouldn't let my kids um, watch them but I also um, I'm a veteran I worked on nuclear missile computers and electrical systems and um, what I wanted to tell you is I'm I was sent to a tech writing school um, to rewrite the entire tech school for Minuteman 3 and the ground launch cruise missile um, computer and electrical systems and now I'm writing a Curriculum on the Constitution. So I'd love to get with you because I agree with you. We have to apply our biblical principles. That's what the Constitution, as you know, was written on biblical principles. Our Congress was set up on biblical principles. And uh, someday I'd love to have a talk with you because I'm writing this curriculum, and I just I I watch I've watched you (laughs) for a while. Oh Sue, thank you. Well, first of all, um, I'd I'd love to
2: absolutely. Please, um, before you hang up. Uh, if you would, please give your email uh, to our producer, and uh, and, and I'll, I'll contact okay. you. And if for awesome. some reason we get disconnected, if you go to PatriotAcademy.com, there's a contact form there, and my staff will get it to me and uh, and, and we'll connect. Okay. I, I, I want to just say awesome. for, thank you for serving. Um, you know, if, 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 if I couldn't do what I'm doing now. If your dad hadn't done what he did, if you hadn't been willing to do what you're doing, all of our friends, family, all of you thank out there you. that are listening that serve in the military or have served in the military – um, God bless you, and thank you, thank you, thank you, and and Sue, thank you for for even knowing enough about our history to ask the right questions and and to to do what you're doing. I mean, that is the solution. I truly believe it. It's it's civic and biblical literacy. That is the solution to what the mess that we're in. Education. So I'm exce- Say again.
7: Education. Educating yeah. people yeah. on what their rights are, what the Constitution says. Amen. Um, Amen. You know, there's so much to it. So, Good stuff. Good you. stuff. Thank Sue, God bless you. I, I look I forward love... to chatting
2: offline too. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna see if I operate this thing right, put Sue on hold and uh going to Hartwell for our final call. Hartwell, sorry, I said I was gonna go to you next uh, earlier and I and I, I uh I, I forgot. So let you get the last two minutes, brother. Go ahead.
7: Okay, um you mentioned John Jay. Yeah, I'm reading out of the citizen rule book. The jury has a right to judge both the law as well as the fact in controversy. John Jay, first chief justice, United States Supreme Court. Um, It is very important that people know their jury rights. And if there's a judge listening to this right now, he's very upset with me.
2: Well, you're right, uh, Hartwell. In fact, uh, David Barton and I talk about this in our Constitution classes, including the Biblical Citizenship class that's taken off across the country right now, and uh, and the whole idea of even jury nullification—the ability to to say, you know, first of all, it's a bad law, therefore not we're not going to apply it, or it's it might be a good law, but it shouldn't apply in this particular situation. I mean, all of those things were the last line of defense to a person's rights and to a person's life. Sometimes was the jury being able to say. This is not right. It should not happen. And we have stripped the jury of the ability to do that in so many cases out there it, it, it's ridiculous now how judges give these jury instructions with this fill in the blank where the jury's power is taken away they, they where they have to they, they their only option is to answer yes or no to a certain couple of questions rather than making the final decision uh in, in way too too often does that happen and i'm all for exactly what you're saying going back to empowering our juries and uh, and giving the jury the ability to nullify a bad law in a particular situation, uh, to 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 have—I mean, there's just so many different things that, that have been taken away from them, uh, and and it's 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 and just the fact that Hartwell's thinking about this and calling in on this subject, folks. That right there tells you we have a, a much a, a, a much more uh, what's the word I'm looking for a hungry population for truth and an application of of biblical and constitutional principles to the community. That that should give you hope. The questions that were asked today, the callers that 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 they, they called in, just hearing those questions, folks, should should give you a that's a sign. That 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 is that is a uh, an indicator of of the fact that we're waking up. That's an indicator of the fact that people are hungry for truth and that we have a chance to turn this thing around. I'm not promising we will, I don't have a crystal ball, I don't know, I'm not a prophet God hasn't given me any handwriting on the wall of whether or not we're going to save America I'm a student of history I can tell you we're at the 250 year mark this is when most empires and great nations fall apart but America has broken the mold every step of the way specifically because of what the caller was saying that we were founded on biblical principles because we were founded on truth and we fought for that truth we broke the mold every step of the way let's do it again Let's break the 250 mold. The
4: views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.